This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. growth and expansion of palliative care today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. Today, our president and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer, is talking with Bryn Bowman from the Center to Advance Palliative Care. Whether you have experience in palliative care or only a passing familiarity, I think you'll find this interview enlightening. Here's Joe. All right. Well, I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, Today we have Bryn Bowman, MPA, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the Center to Advance Palliative Care. CAPC provides tools, training, and technical assistance to more than 1,750 healthcare organizations to improve the quality of care for patients with serious illness. And Bryn, I love your simple but profound vision statement for CAPC. It says, palliative care everywhere. Bryn is Assistant Professor for Brookdale Department of Geriatrics and Palliative Medicine at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She's a member of the National Academy of Medicine's Roundtable on Quality Care for People with Serious Illness and a former Health and Aging Policy Fellow where she served in the U.S. Senate Committee on Finance in 2020 and 2021. So Bryn, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Really grateful for the chance to talk to you today and and with HFMA listeners about palliative care. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And our listeners should know that we've, over the last couple of years, we've struck a pretty good working relationship with CAPC and shared some content and who knows where that's going to go. So, uh, and there's some reasons, you know, for that, that uh, hopefully we'll get into, you know, during the podcast here. But, But just for clarity, could you just define palliative care? And perhaps even compare and contrast that to, say, hospice care or other care along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. It's the right starting place. So palliative care is a medical specialty for people living with a serious illness. And really, it's focused on providing relief from the symptoms and the stressors of that serious illness. Um, So that can mean managing pain and other symptoms, finding out what matters to patients in the context of that disease and helping to align treatment decisions with those patient goals, um, supporting family caregivers and helping to coordinate care and communicate across clinical teams. So it is provided by a specialty trained interdisciplinary team. So that means medicine and nursing and social work and spiritual care. And that team will work alongside a patient's other clinicians, usually as a consult service and at the same time as disease treatment. So unlike hospice, which you brought up, which really is about the end of a patient's life, palliative care we think of as being appropriate based on patient need at any point in the prognosis. And the goal really is to relieve suffering and improve quality of life for patients and for families. Sure, and and can apply to all kinds of conditions and, and as opposed to just end of life, not just end of life, but end of life environment. 
So a little background, I was first exposed to palliative care over 12 years ago when I worked at Spectrum Health. And I remember learning about it and I thought the investment in palliative care made perfect sense. But honestly, that opinion was not uniform across our executive team. You know, as we all grappled with those really difficult budget trade-offs in a competitive budgeting world. So with that as my background, can you just tell me what's transpired over the last 10, 12 years or so about care? How many systems are investing in palliative care? You know, is it standard practice? Or just how does it fit now? Can, you know, bring me up to date from where it was way back when I looked at it. It's a great question because a lot has changed in that time and it's changed really fast. So palliative care really is one of the most rapid growth trends in healthcare over the last couple of decades. And if you look at U.S. hospitals with more than 50 beds, so 15 years ago, you would have seen around 45% of those hospitals had a palliative care program, whereas today, more than 83% of hospitals have a program. And that includes almost all of the large hospitals and all 100% of the top-ranked U.S. News and World Report hospitals. If you flip it and put it the other way in terms of patient access, more than 90% of patients go to a hospital today that has a palliative care program. This applies in the world of pediatrics, too. So infants, children, adolescents who are coping with a serious medical illness, most freestanding children's hospitals now have a palliative care service. So we really have seen a lot of rapid growth. And what's also true there is that the size of those hospital teams and therefore the number of patients that they're seeing every year, those numbers have grown steadily over the last 15 years as well. And I think, you know, that's a result of hospitals having seen the benefits of palliative care and also of palliative care being more integrated into the culture of care during that time. The other trend that I wanted to just make a note of is where we see health systems being earlier in the adoption curve is community-based palliative care. Um, and that's really important when we think about patients' post-acute care needs um, and needs along the trajectory of a disease in between a, a crisis that may land them in the hospital. But here too, and especially over the last five years, we've seen a lot of growth. So there's a growing number of health systems that now provide palliative care in outpatient clinics um, or through home visiting programs. And we see kind of the need for, for stabilization for patients following a hospital admission. And those palliative care services can really help avoid a crisis and a readmission. Yeah, that's really interesting. I want to, I want to get back to that community element in a second. But first, I want to talk about, you, know, you can hardly talk about any healthcare issue these days without talking about the pandemic. And you know, one can feel like palliative care got its, maybe its moment in the sun because of the pandemic. And I, honestly, I still can't imagine what it must have been like for families with loved ones in the hospital and they couldn't visit. And it must have been a real challenge for the palliative care world. I know you provided us some statistics on the growth of palliative care over the pandemic, but maybe just delve into that a little bit. What did the pandemic do to palliative care programs and caregivers? Yeah, it's important because, as you say, there's no conversation now except a conversation about the pandemic. And what we saw in the palliative care field over the last two years, I think, is pretty telling. And just to start thinking about heading into the pandemic in 2020, when you think about what palliative care teams are expert in, it is taking care of very sick patients with complex needs in conditions of uncertainty. And that is expertise that was certainly called for during COVID. So one interesting thing that we saw, CAPSI surveyed the palliative care field at intervals during the pandemic. More than 65% of the palliative care program leaders working in hospitals and health systems um, that reported back to us said that they had been called in to be part of their organization's crisis response planning teams. 
um, because of that expertise in caring for sick patients who were at risk for bad outcomes. We also saw that palliative care teams were often among the earliest telehealth adopters, and there were a couple of reasons for that. Inside of the hospital, it might have been about spreading palliative care capacity just so that those team members could be when and where they were needed across the hospital, also to help connect hospitalized patients with loved ones who could not come to visit. Palliative care teams were also caring for people who had a pre-existing serious illness before the pandemic. So managing cancer or heart failure or dementia outside of the hospital, very much wanting to stay outside of the hospital during COVID um, and getting care telephonically or through telehealth from palliative care teams. The other thing that we saw palliative care teams do during the pandemic, which I, I think will be interesting as we start to come out of this time, is really having the role of having difficult conversations with patients and families about care goals whether that was in the emergency department, if the decision was, you know, be admitted with your COVID or try to stay home and shelter in place, uh, when that was about treatment decisions, when, when patients were hospitalized. And because those are conversations that palliative care teams are expert in, their colleagues who were stressed, overstretched, could rely on them to have that conversation with patients and families and communicate back to the treating team. And then, of course, palliative care teams were managing shortness of breath and other symptoms. So trying to be when and where they could to, to relieve suffering. You know, to your question about what do we take away from all of this story from the pandemic, where we are now is, I think, both at the administrative level and at the level of referring clinicians, palliative care teams really, you know, were valued for the work that they did during the pandemic. Those clinical relationships between referrers and palliative care teams strengthened over that time. Consult volumes went up and they have stayed up. And that is really good for patients and really good for referring providers. But the risk I worry is that palliative care teams aren't always staffed to meet that demand from within the organization. So back to your question about how do we mainstream palliative care, I think it's the right time to think about what do we make of what we've seen during the pandemic? What does it mean for strategies for stabilization coming out of the pandemic? In what way does the work of palliative care teams support productivity and effectiveness in the ICU or the emergency department or for hospitalists, for example? And what does that mean in terms of allocation of resources? When I hear that and I think about those environments and I think of those conversations, those conversations are so important. And I'm just, I think those caregivers have a direct ticket to heaven to be able to have those conversations in the way that they do. For finance people like myself, it's hard to put ourselves in that moment, but how truly important that really is. And I see the the movement and the change, and you described that, you know, what happened during the pandemic. And I, I think that's amazing and it's really cool. But I'm just wondering, are there barriers to making these, you know, the mainstreaming and other barriers to making it stick? Or how can we help make this, make it be more mainstream and, and stick permanently? I think you actually referenced the two biggest barriers when you talk about your experience at Spectrum. The first, I believe, really is an awareness of how palliative care teams do their work. And that idea that access to palliative care should be based on what the patient needs at whatever point in the serious illness from diagnosis on, but we see a lot of conflation of the idea of palliative care and end of life. And what that can mean is missed opportunities to integrate palliative care services earlier in the disease trajectory when patients and clinicians and organization could really realize those benefits the most. So I think that's one issue that gets in the way. And another issue is financing. 
a barrier has been the fits and starts and the shift towards value-based care. Palliative care is a high value proposition. It improves quality for high need patients and in so doing reduces cost to the hospital or the health system. And the data are very clear on this, but under fee-for-service payment, palliative care teams, especially because they're interdisciplinary in nature, cannot bill to cover those staffing costs. So it really does require upfront support from the hospital for palliative care staffing with net cost savings realized on the basis of the work of that team. So one thing that CAPSI has, for example, is an impact calculator that hospitals can use to project what would be those cost savings based on different palliative care staffing levels and numbers of admissions seen by that service. And those calculations are based on the most up-to-date published outcomes data from the field so that you can kind of plan for staged growth over time. But I do think it gets back to this question of how health systems can best leverage the work of those palliative care specialists. So for example, one place I think that might be a, a phase for growth inside of health systems and how we think about palliative care is standardization. So do hospitals and health systems have systems in place to identify the patients that would benefit most from palliative care in a timely and reliable way so that palliative care services can ensure the highest impact and quality while operating efficiently? And there are some health systems that have been ahead of the curve here that have implemented standardized triggers to identify those patients without relying on clinicians proactively identifying patients for palliative care referral and then make sure that the palliative care team is staffed appropriately to meet the needs. So I think there are strategies for kind of leveraging your palliative care resources and making sure that those specialists really are seeing the right patients who will realize the benefit. CAPC has done some studies about the financial impact of palliative care. We don't have time in this podcast to go into a lot of those details, but it would be worth the time and effort of our listeners to to delve into that, especially if they're already in some kind of a value-based care arrangement. I think of palliative care as one more thing that people that are tied to fee-for-service might see as problematic, but you know, people that are embracing value-based care model would would fit, which kind of leads into this last question that I wanted to get back to. You talked about the community, you know, involving the community and things outside of the health system. I'm I'm curious about that. HFMA has been focused on cost effectiveness of health, not health care, but health. And I know that palliative care fits nicely into that concept, but I'm just wondering, talk a little bit more about that community involvement and but then also talk a little bit about those organizations that either haven't invested or maybe could invest more, what are reasons that they should reconsider if they either haven't or just invested a little bit? The questions are linked. You know, why why invest in community-based palliative care services it's related to the outcomes that we see, particularly under value-based payment incentives? Maybe I'll start with the outcomes and then think about what are the, the community-based palliative care models And the outcomes really are that high quality palliative care has been shown in the hospital to reduce ICU utilization, bring down the cost per day for hospitalized patients and decrease 30 day readmissions. Which, by the way, still fits into a fee for service model, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And then in the outpatient setting, palliative care reduces emergency visits so, and again has impact on readmission rates and home visiting palliative care programs in particular have been shown to reduce the total cost of care. So you think about a health system, for example, that's participating or has an accountable care organization that starts to become a really important strategy for the proportion of patients who are sick, at risk for poor outcomes and need to have those conditions managed over time. 
and actually one example that comes to mind as we talk came from a, an HFMA webinar last year. CFO Jim Wentz from Oshner Medical Center showed an analysis in his presentation that for patients who were seen by palliative care within three days of hospital admission, average length of stay decreased, direct cost of care per day went down, and the hospital saw a significant return on its investment for having subsidized staffing for the program. Really interesting, I thought, from his presentation was they also realized they were leaving savings on the table if the palliative care team saw patients too late in the stay. And so that had implications for their staffing and their workflow strategies. His summary statement, which I just loved, was the numbers make sense for us in the fee-for-service world, and we're even more excited about how they'll look in a value-based world, and we're going to be ready. So I think that was a, a powerful kind of example of the business case and, of course, the human case for palliative care in either financial context. And then on the quality side, palliative care has been demonstrated again and again to improve quality of life for patients, improve patient and family satisfaction, and decrease symptom burden. And so there are health systems now thinking about how to braid those outpatient and community-based services and inpatient services to make sure that as patients' needs change over the course of a disease, that they have access to those services when and where they need them. You kind of mentioned how I was going to put a wrap on this. You've made it very clear and, and you've got much more data than you've even mentioned here about being the right thing financially, that it's a financially sound thing to do. But when you bring in the powerful human element to this, and it's a classic example of it's the right thing to do, it's so powerful for patients and their families, and oh, by the way, it makes sense financially. So I just love the way that that comes together. And I just really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your insight with our members today. I still think there might be a number of members that don't know what palliative care is. And so what a great introduction to it for those or encouragement uh, to those to continue to invest in, in palliative care. So thank you, Brent, for joining us this morning. Thanks so much, Joe. I, you know, I think you put it best. We we know we can do better at caring for the person while we treat their disease. And we know that doing so is cost effective. So, you know, I tell you what, that's the healthcare experience that I will want when I need it someday. I'll be right there with you. Well, thanks again, Brent. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. If you'd like to reach out to our team, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is podcast at hfma.org.